Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're reminded even now that it's at the great name of your Son, our Lord, that we gather together. Father, we thank you for faith, the knowledge of your grace toward us in Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, Healer, Savior, Defender, Lord Almighty, high and lifted up. We praise his name this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts in those humble words that I've prepared. Lord, I pray that you would do a good work in us. As many of us are seeking answers. There are areas in our life that we're not happy about, habits that have dogged us for years, things that we'd like to see change and taken away or things added in. We're fooling ourselves, Lord. We feel that we can't be uh, honest with our neighbor. And so, Lord, would you do that good work to us? Speak directly to us this day, we pray. Amen. Well, after five weeks of building Antioch, and today makes week number six, we are finally done with our fall series. The finale is finally here. Now, if you've missed this series of building Antioch, we've been studying the first transformational church built according to God's design, God's blueprints for the church in the ancient city of Antioch, where spiritual power, innovations to advance the gospel, generous giving, remarkable teaching, and mission sending were used by God to transform individuals, their whole community, and literally the entire known world of that time. These gospel-driven design elements that we've been speaking about all fall uh, inform everything that we do here at Nielsville. They're central to our mission, and in particular, to our 2009 mission initiatives. 2009 was a very big year in the life of Nielsville Presbyterian Church. Let me Refresh your memory. In 2009, uh, our trustees and elders came up with a master plan for our facilities. A churchwide mission study commenced. A new mission statement was formed, and the start of a search for a new senior pastor, it all started back in 2009. It was those mission initiatives that really caught my eye. When I was looking for a new call and trying to discern where the Lord would call my family to go to serve next. And we had great conversations with with other churches. It was this church and these initiatives that caught my attention. I said, wow, this church knows where God wants them to go. It was incredibly attractive to me. That was 2009. And and interesting enough, uh, 2009 was the last time the Giants were in a race for a pennant and they won. And so all glory to God that the San Francisco Giants will win again and uh, defeat their mortal enemies And uh, because the Nationals can't make it and the Orioles can't make it. I know we are all rooting for the Giants, correct? Yes? Okay. No? What? Blasphemy. <laughs> okay, this is a little review for many of us, but there are a number of new people here, so I want to refresh your memory of exactly what those... 2009 mission mission initiatives were. These were the things that we said, these are core. This is what we're going to work on for the next few years. 
we're going to put our energy into these things. There are six of them. Number one, incorporate greater variety of culture and music on Sunday morning worship. And thank you to, to Ryan and the praise team for leading this morning. Number two, implement a comprehensive plan for adult education and discipleship. Number three, an, an emphasis on local missions, both uh, intergenerational and personal involvement. And so we've been hearing these great Minute for Missions over the, the past number of weeks and, and coming into the fall opportunities for us to serve. Number four, embrace and intentionally work toward becoming a truly multicultural church. And that's not something that can be programmed for. It has to be organic. It's something that it happens, but it's happening here. As evidenced by the flags we see in the narthex, and I know uh, Pastor Andy's going to need to purchase uh, at least four more uh, with our next class coming in. We're very excited about that. Number five, strengthen bonds through fellowship gatherings like our potluck right after church. And uh, let's see, improved communication. Yes, improved communication. That didn't work in the 830 service either. Okay. Gosh. And number six, I will not quit my day job, just so you know. Number six, grow in our commitment and accountability to one another through the implementation of a covenant of membership. And certainly we have done that. In fact, that covenant of membership is, is spoken uh, as a church. We do that about every other month uh, as our statement of faith, and we'll, we'll do that again uh, next week to signify what we as, a, as the corporate church of Nielsville have committed ourselves to. How are we doing? How are we doing, Nielsville, on this list? I see great areas of growth where we need to say, thank you, Lord. Amen. This is great. I see, look out these windows, no more stairs to nowhere. They're torn out. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I also see areas that we've come up a little short, places where uh, we need uh, to work on aligning together, working together, areas that we thought, oh, this will be a slam dunk, but... God had different plans for us where we need to go back to the drawing board. Or more importantly, we need to go back to the prayer closet and pray over and, and discern. There's room for improvement naturally. But this is a time to celebrate. This week and next week, a time to celebrate what God has done and is doing and will do through this church. Like Barnabas in Acts chapter 11 I see the grace of God here, and I am glad, and like Barnabas, in that gladness, I want to encourage us to remain faithful and steadfast. This series' full title is Building Antioch, Your Role in a Transformational Church. Each and every one of you has a role and a responsibility and an opportunity to help our church grow and embody the gospel for all that God has in store for us. Now, transformational churches like Antioch don't just happen. They emerge when more and more members are transformed by the Holy Spirit. When there's discord or division, the Holy Spirit becomes troubled. Growth is stifled. To combat that, 
and build unity and faith. A big part of the Spirit's work is enabling us together to see and appreciate Christ's love for the church and for the world and our role in it. That's what the Spirit does to remind us. And when we see him and we begin to value the things that God values and what, what he is doing in the world, we become convinced by the Spirit that we are called to this particular church. Not, well, I'm a Christian and I'm a free agent, I'll wander from church to church. But no, it becomes very clear that we are called to this time and to this body and to this local expression of the church with Big C. To give ourselves to the ministry and the mission of Nielsville. To do our part in helping our community of faith be all that it can be and to show Christ to all. That's what we do. We want to show Christ to the world. Here's the main point of my message this morning that I want to convey to us in, in a rather lengthy meat and potatoes kind of message. You ready? To show Christ, we need to see Christ. And seeing him is what changes us into the kind of people God wants us to be. Now I thought a little uh, change of pace. We've been spending a lot of time in the book of Acts and so I want to turn your attention to an entirely different book in the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, if you want to open there. I think it's on page, I don't hear pages turning at all. Come on. I think it's on, uh, thank you, 2 Corinthians 3, 18, I think it's on page 965. I would love for us to continue to, to, to know scripture, but not to assume we all know it. We have the four gospels, right? And then we have uh, the book of Acts, and then Romans, 1 Corinthians, and then 2 Corinthians 3.18. Listen to these words. This is sort of like jumping into a three-hour sermon and we're hearing midway Paul's argument. So we'll, we'll unpack that. He writes, And we all, who with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, this is a very densely packed verse in a dense, thick, heavy-duty part of Scripture, and, and we're going to unpack it in just a moment. But first I want to get at the idea of the Holy Spirit working in us daily. Well, to what end? What, what's happening when we say the Holy Spirit works in us each day? What, what's going on? So let's start with a simple definition. If someone were to ask you, what is a Christian, what's the simplest definition you could give? What is a Christian? The, the term was, was coined at Antioch. We've been talking about Christians. So what is it? Well, a Christian, according to the New Testament, is a person related to Jesus Christ. A Christian is a person related to Jesus Christ. And a Christian's relationship to Jesus Christ has Christ at the center. A Christian lives life, listen, through Christ, in Christ, under Christ, with Christ, onto Christ, for Christ, and finally, like Christ. John Stott calls this a theological study of prepositions. 
Someone could tell me what preposition is after service. I'd, I'd love it, but he says it has something to do with all these important little words that mean so much. Transformation has to do with being like Jesus Christ. Now, here's why this is so critically important for us to understand. First and foremost, Christ-likeness is what God wants to see in all of us. It sums up what life is all about. It sums up what this life that you've been called to live and I've been called to live is all about. It's why God sent his son to be born of a virgin, to announce good news, to usher in the kingdom by signs and wonders, and then to suffer under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried, and risen, and ascended to heaven to the right hand of God the Father, sending his Holy Spirit, and awaiting to come back in glory. That's why God's done it. What was God up to with this long, redemptive story? Listen. There's no more succinct way to put it than God's purpose was to make human beings more human by making them like Jesus Christ. When God created us in his own image, we spoiled it in and through Adam, our our forebearer. We sinned. That, that image was marred, distorted by our disobedience. The good news is God is busy restoring his image marred by our sin. And God is restoring that image by making us like Christ Jesus. It's the center of the gospel. The New Testament says that that restoration that transformation was decided in eternity past. Now, I'm going to throw out a lot of scripture. For those of you taking notes, it's going to be easy. For those of us who try to turn pages a little harder, but here's the first one. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined, why? To be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And sisters. So becoming like Christ is the goal of our redemption, our conversion, and our adoption. When we're born again, we're given a a new nature. And what's that new nature? According to Scripture, it's designed to be the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, Ephesians 4, verse 24, and knowledge in the image of of the Creator, Colossians 3.10. Now what comes next after we've been adopted is sanctification. And that's a, a fancy word for saying Christ-likeness. Here is 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. We're going to kick it old school, King James Version. He that saith he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. But simply, whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way Jesus walked. Are you walking like Jesus this day? Christ-likeness, it's not only God's purpose in predestination and conversion and adoption and sanctification, but it's his purpose for heaven too. 
What will heaven be like? What will you and I look like? What's going to happen there? Well, we don't know in any full sense of the word, but, but the beloved disciple John glimpsed heaven, and he wrote this in 1 John 3, 2. He said, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall what? We shall be like him, because we shall see him as he really is. So I know that my main point is grounded in Scripture, because that was it right there, 1 John 3, 2. More Scripture. Here's another one, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. The triune God's purpose conceived in eternity past, working out in history and brought to consummation in future eternity, God intends to make us like Christ. Christ's likeness is what God wants for you. It's what he wants for me. It's what I want for you. It's what I want to see in myself. It's what we all want to see in one another. And most importantly, at this moment in time for our church, it's what the world desperately wants to see and needs to see from this church. We started this series with a question. What are we building here to transform our city for Christ? That was the question. We're going to end this series with a very different question, a much more personal question. What is Christ building inside of you and inside of me? Back to our text, 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, Paul urges the church to be unified behind him in his ministry. I, I can relate to that. Paul's saying in 2 Corinthians, will you please get behind me and support me in my work? That's what 2 Corinthians is all about. And here in chapter 3, he's talking about the old covenant and the new covenant. The old passing away but the new irrevocable. And he refers to uh, the scene in the Old Covenant when God communicated with Moses on Mount Sinai and, and Moses saw the glory of God. The glory of God passed by and Moses, his face was aglow in the glory of the Lord. He was transformed. And when he came down that mountain, he would talk to the people, but then he'd cover his face with a veil because he didn't want the people to lose hope because his face was fading, that glory was fading, and so he'd, he'd use it when he needed to, and then he'd, he'd cover up again. And the Apostle Paul deduces that the people's faith was also fading, because their hearts were veiled, in that their understanding of the true meaning of the law was veiled. They, they didn't get it. They didn't get what God was doing. And because they didn't understand the law, they didn't know grace. They, they experienced a kind of spiritual slavery to all the things that they should be doing better. Can you relate to that? Can Christians relate to that? All the things I should be doing better. Moms, can you relate to that? Dads, can you relate? Anybody and everybody here. 
Oh, I should be doing more here. Oh, I should have. Oh, I only brought one can and someone else brought a bag. I should have brought, I could have done a, a full bag. Oh, Pastor Andy asked for, I could, oh, I should have done more. That's a form of spiritual slavery and, and the people of Israel were steeped in it. But Paul here reminds Christians that in the new covenant, the Lord is in our hearts. He's in their spirits. Their hope of freedom comes from the great truth that they can now be their true selves. Because the Spirit gives freedom, and by giving us freedom, I mean that the Spirit gives us the desire to be all that God wants us to be. It's the Spirit that that gives us the desire to do what God is calling us to do. He, He puts that will in our hearts to live as he designed. And it all builds up to verse 18, this glorious gift of Christ-likeness. We all, who with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, forget about Moses, he's talking about all of us. We all are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. How does transformation happen? How, how does it happen? You're asking for yourself, how do I get, get past this addiction or this issue? How do, I, how do I grow? How does someone in my life change? How do we change? It happens by looking at the Lord Jesus. And the Holy Spirit helps us to see him and then to show him. The Spirit opens our eyes and our hearts And the Spirit takes the blinders off so we can receive and appreciate and savor and cherish and treasure the Lord Jesus. Following law only cannot transform us. It can only convict us. It can only make us say, oh, I should have done better. I'm not good enough to be a Christian. Oh, I can't join the church or I can't serve. I'm not doing enough. That is moralism. That's legalism, and it's deadly, toxic stuff. When directed at ourself in a negative way or directed in a positive way, look at all what I'm doing (laughs) compared to all the rest of you. It's toxic when we turn that towards our neighbor and say, she's not doing enough. Can you believe that family? It's slavery. It's not freedom. Nielsville, listen, what's holding us back is not a lack of time. It's not a lack of resources. It's not that we need more people or a bigger facility. It is that we do not see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's our problem. That's our problem. Discord, disunity, fussing, complaining, withholding our offering, petitioning, those are all symptoms of a stagnant church taking its eye off of our Lord. Those are only symptoms. The cause isn't incomplete goals. Oh gosh, if we could just check off those big goals, if we could have just made our, our goals this year. No, it's that we're not seeing his glory. 
but that's also the cure. To see Jesus' glorious love for all the jaw-dropping, take-my-breath-away amazement, gloriousness, that is the symptom, that's the cure. The main point, again, to show Christ, we need to see Christ. And seeing him changes us into the kind of people that transform a church and a community, and yes, the world. We can transform Upper Montgomery County. The people in this room, do you believe that? We've seen it. It can happen. If you want to be more forgiving, look at Jesus, who on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If you want to be more loving, look at Jesus, who ate with sinners and repentant prostitutes and tax collectors. If you want to be more pure, look at Jesus into his blazing eyes of fire, Revelation 22. If you want courage, look at Jesus, who drove out the money changers with a whip made of cords and turned over their tables, for they had defiled his father's house. If you want to be more generous, look at Jesus, who gave up heaven to come to earth. If you want to be more like a servant, look at Jesus, who took off his outer garment, so undignified, wrapped it around and knelt and washed his disciples' feet. If you want to be stronger in the face of suffering, Look at Jesus. When he had the opportunity to pass on the cup of his father's wrath, he said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. If you want to be merciful, look at Jesus, who reinstated Peter, even after Peter had denied him three times. By beholding him, we are transformed. We are sanctified. And when we're transformed, then we can fulfill our role. No gimmicks, no formulas, no more should-haves. What gets me excited about Nielsville Presbyterian Church, about this next season of ministry and planning and initiatives, is the same thing that Paul and Barnabas saw at Antioch, and we're going to see in this next season when we start surveying you again in the new year. When we come to your homes, we ask you, what's, the God, what's God doing in your life? Where do you see the glory of God? And where do you want to see the church go? What's God laid on your heart? What did they see? What do we see? The abiding nature of the new covenant. Powerful and irrevocable. Working in all of us. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would come in power among us this autumn, would free us up, would bring revival, and that we would be Christ's faithful witnesses. May the freedom of Christ shine with power through this church to all the world. Amen. Amen. Please stand and let's sing. It's a misprint in your bulletin. It's